Thank you for joining me today. This is Colin Hamilton, Commodities Analyst at BMO Capital Markets. And welcome to our short Metals Matters podcast where we highlight the key things you need to know in global metals and mining this week. What a couple of weeks it has been for commodity markets. To say there's been significant price pressure for industrial metals is somewhat of an understatement. There are three major headwinds for the global industrial economy at the current time. China's spluttering growth engine, ex-China's energy constraint, and the newest one, an end-user D-stock, having panicked earlier in the year and over-ordered, well, purchasing managers are now sitting with excess raw materials on the balance sheet in many cases. This is fine if your own order book is rising, less so when your sales team is telling you that demand is now weakening. And that's generally the case now. Worse, interest rates are rising and bank credit lines have been used up quickly by high commodity prices. This limits your ability to hold even current inventory levels. And we are definitely seeing a passive destocking cycle. Now, given apparent demand typically drives commodity prices, this is important. You can't destock forever. And we do expect China to get better. Hence, the commodity price fall will be arrested but perhaps not immediately, given the slower summer months. Now, price forecasting is a fool's game at the best of times, but it is that necessary evil for any commodity analyst. The latest BMO price deck came out at the start of this week, and for the first time in a number of quarters, it has net downgrades, given inflation is doing its work on the demand side of the equation, and central banks are pivoting to an increasingly hawkish policy stance. During industrial decelerations, particularly ones where China confidence is low, positioning should be focused on those less likely to fall relative to peers. Gold, uranium and perhaps aluminium are examples. However, that position should also be nimble enough to add more upside optionality should China data start to positively surprise as Q3 progresses. It's also worth highlighting that many commodities are still offering substantial margins over their respective cost curves. The recent price levels have been abnormally high, and the longer-term annuity from the fuel-to-materials transition has not been dented. In terms of long-run equilibrium prices, we have only made upgrades. One commodity where we have been fielding a lot more questions recently is uranium. And together with my colleague Alex Pierce, well, we published a report considering the important themes in this market which is the somewhat forgotten energy raw material having generally underperformed others for the past decade. However, the global push for energy independence following Russia's invasion of Ukraine has provided a tailwind for uranium expectations. Nuclear build-outs are back in vogue. And the role of uranium and wider nuclear technology in a low-carbon global economy is becoming ever clearer, and it's driving significant research and development now into the next generation of technologies. This is just what happened with solar power around 2010. With this pathway, we believe the uranium price will ultimately have to rise to the necessary levels to stimulate increased production required to match growing demand needs. And hence, we have actually increased our long-term uranium price expectation to $58 per pound from 50 Government strategy in the US, potential Chinese exports of their Hualong reactor technology and the development of small modular reactors all have potential to see demand surprise in the upside relative to our base case. As I mentioned, uranium prices have underperformed pairs for good fundamental reasons over that past decade and indeed during the past 18 months. But this does leave uranium as perhaps the only major commodity we cover 
trading below its long-run equilibrium price at the present time, and thus, relative to peers, has more upside in the five-year view. The pathway towards this higher price has a number of important waypoints as the industry works through the excess inventory that has been built. At the moment, we think the key producers, Cameco and Kazatomprom, are happy with a price around $50 a pound, which is quite enough for them to be highly profitable, but not high enough to attract new market entrants. And in uranium, for those of you who like an acronym, you can add HALIU to your list. High assay, low enriched uranium is the key fuel for the next generation of advanced small modular reactors. The metal we've perhaps been asked more about than any other in the recent sell-off is copper. How could the great green red metal drop below $4 a pound when it's everyone's go-to? The first thing I would say is that $4 a pound, or even the $3.5 a pound we're now heading towards, is still a phenomenal price. We've only traded above $4 a pound twice in history after all. And if I'd said to you Chinese demand would be down year on year, and we'd be at these levels, you'd likely have questioned it. This is simply a return to fundamentals in the cycle where global demand is decelerating. For copper, we do have some new supply to absorb in the second half, most notably from KF Echo and QB2, and hence why the treatment refining charges agreed with Chinese and Japanese smelters recently by Antofagasta are higher than current spot assessments. In the near term, the copper price should and likely will head lower, particularly as macro positioning unwinds. However, with investments in copper-intensive renewable energy accelerating as country after country seeks greater energy independence and corporations lower their carbon footprint, well, future demand expectations are rising. Electric vehicles remain that major penetration tailwind, using significantly more copper than a legacy ICE. And copper is very much one of those commodities where, in the medium term, we simply have to engineer down demand to match available supply growth through a combination of thrifting and substitution. And this will only happen owing to extended times at high prices. I'll reiterate that we view a copper price at three and a half times the aluminium price as necessary for this to happen. With the perennially challenged supply side and geological and geopolitical challenges limiting potential new assets, we see no reason why the longer-term confidence in copper should not be repaid, notwithstanding the current demand pressures. We've raised our long-run copper price to $3.75 per pound in the recent price changes we put through. Finally this week, I wanted to talk a little about three market distortions that have resulted from the recent price action. The first of these is the sharp fall in ferrous scrap prices relative to iron ore. Now, we do view scrap as a good indicator of physical market activity, and it is telling us that buyers are clearly absent at the moment. However, basic oxygen furnace-based producers have a choice to buy scrap or make pig iron from iron ore, and the economics are clearly in favour of the former at present. With Chinese steel output also likely to be heading lower, given the unseasonal rise in rebar inventory, we do see further downside to iron ore prices over the coming weeks. Now, if Chinese steel has to be cut, well, we've already seen a pause in ex-China raw materials purchases, which has resulted in a $200 per tonne drop in spot met coal prices over recent weeks. And now we've ended up in the extremely rare situation where, on a FOB Australia basis, thermal coal is trading at a premium to hard coking coal. While this reflects the difference between the weak steel market and strong utility demand, it does now mean it would make more economic sense to sell 
uncontracted semi-soft and PCI coal into the thermal market, which will essentially remove some MIT coal supply. Ultimately, this price dislocation is unsustainable. And to be honest, I did think that thermal could help underpin MIT coal prices, but in the short term, it looks as though the gap may, if anything, get even wider. Lastly, in the nickel market, we now have a wide disconnect between class 1 prices and nickel pig iron prices. For refined nickel, that class 1 nickel demand from the battery sector remains relatively robust. Inventories, particularly on the Shanghai Exchange, are extremely low. And we now have a further potential sanctions against Russian material, which is causing greater distortion. Now, in contrast, stainless steel inventories in China are high, and European stainless orders reportedly dropped 25% month on month in May. The nickel pig iron weakness reflects poor fundamentals in the stainless market. Ultimately, with stainless as the dominant end use for now at least, we'd expect refined nickel prices to revert back to MPI levels. Thank you for listening to Metal Matters. If you have any questions or suggestions, just get in touch directly and I do hope you can join me next time round to discuss more pertinent issues for global metals and bulk commodity markets. That was Metal Matters, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Metal Matters on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more episodes, including our other podcast series, BMO Equity Research in Tune. If you have feedback or suggestions for upcoming podcasts, please do share it with me at colin.hamilton.com at bimo.com To access our full disclosures please visit researchglobalzero.bimocapitalmarkets.com forward slash public hyphen disclosure